just as Christ got the job done in accomplishing the redemption of God's elect, and perfectly so, so too the Spirit gets the job done in applying redemption to God's elect. In other words, not one of God's elect will be lost. All will be brought to glory. Christ having atoned for their sins and the Spirit having applied this redemption that Christ has earned to them. Uh, This is what Paul teaches in that famous passage found in Romans 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he, God the Father, predestined, he also called. There, that word called is referring to this effectual calling. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There is that, that unbreakable chain of redemption, as we call it, where all who are predestined, foreknown in eternity past, are brought to glory. But it does involve this calling, this effectual calling of the Holy Spirit. Now, for those of you who are still struggling to understand or accept the Bible's teaching on election or predestination, I would recommend that you go back and listen to that teaching that I produced on Baptist Catechism 23 some time ago. There are also other teachings on that subject on our website, archived under Learn and Podcast. I think, in fact, you can access a whole series on on this subject by going to emmausrbc.org backslash tulip. There's a page there that has some teachings on what we call the doctrines of grace archived there. But today we are considering this thing called effectual calling. What is it? What is effectual calling? How does it work? And how is it that this calling is always effective? First of all, We must remember that effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit. That is what our catechism rightly teaches. Our salvation is the work of the triune God, as has been mentioned many times now. For God the Father so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and God the Son so loved the Father that He accomplished the work that the Father gave Him to do, namely to earn eternal life for all whom the Father had given to Him in eternity past. That is not a quotation from Scripture, but those are my words, of course. But this is the clear teaching of Scripture. You can read John 17 for yourself. You can read John 10 and see that Christ laid down His life for the sheep. You can read Ephesians 5, 25, which is about marriage, but it also teaches that Christ died for His bride, namely the church. Christ atoned for the sins of the elect. He died for the world in this sense. He is the Savior of all peoples, not only of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles. The Son of God accomplished redemption. And the Holy Spirit applies it. And this should not surprise us in the least to see that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they work in unison with one another. It should not surprise us in the least to see that the Father's will will certainly be accomplished with precision. If His will is to bring many to glory, He is going to bring those many to glory effectively. The Son having accomplished His work and the Spirit having accomplished His. All those given to the Son by the Father will certainly be brought to glory by the agency of of the Holy Spirit. The Word and the Spirit will bring these sons to glory. So how does the Spirit do it? The word whereby in answer 34 signals that we are about to learn how the Spirit gets the job done. First of all, the Spirit gets the job done by convincing us of our sin and misery. In just a moment we will learn that the Spirit's work, that the Spirit works with and through the preaching of the gospel. The gospel must be preached, friends. The Spirit does not work all alone, but through the preaching of the gospel we will learn. 
And so the gospel must be preached if men and women are to be saved. There must be that external call wherein men and women call other men and women to repentance and faith in Christ. And if we pay careful attention to how the gospel was preached in the pages of the New Testament, and particularly in the book of Acts, we will see that both law and gospel were proclaimed together. God's law reveals what God requires of us. And the gospel reveals what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And one of the functions of the law is to condemn us. That is, to make us aware of our sin and misery. And so the law and gospel work together. The law is, among other things, the dark backdrop for which the light of the gospel can shine forth. The law reveals our need. The gospel holds out the solution. The law shows us that we are sick. The gospel provides the cure. When the law says, thou shalt not bear false witness, for example, it does not only reveal to us how we ought to live, it also reveals that we are lawbreakers and sinners. For who among us has kept this law perfectly? And we know that the wages of sin is death. The law reveals or shows to us our sin and misery. But what do sinful and unregenerate men and women do when they hear the law and the gospel proclaimed? The answer is, they reject them both. They consider them to be foolish. In their self-righteous pride, they deny their need and they reject the Savior. Uh, This is what that 1 Corinthians 1 passage that we read just a bit ago so clearly taught. But this is not so with the elect of God. The elect of God will, in due time, be convinced of their sin and misery by the Holy Spirit and thereby recognize their need for a Savior. Now, the elect of God might go on for many years considering the gospel to be foolish, ignoring the law of God, thinking that they are self-righteous. But as I have said, in due time, the Spirit will convince the elect of God of their sin and misery. So if you are in Christ today, this happened to you at some time in the past. At some point, you became aware of your tremendous need. You came to understand that you were a lawbreaker, that you stood under God's wrath. And like the Philippian jailer, you asked, what must I do to be saved? That is Acts 16.30. Or like some of those who listened to Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, you were cut to the heart and said, what shall I do? That is Acts 2.37. And how did that happen? How, How did you come to that point in your life to where all of a sudden you recognized that you were a sinner, that you had this tremendous need? How did you come to that point of seeing that Christ was the solution to your sickness? Well, the answer is by the work of the Holy Spirit. Not only were you called externally by the preached gospel, but you were also called in that moment inwardly and effectually by the Spirit of God. He convinced you of your sin and misery, for this is His work. Secondly, we learn that the Spirit draws the elect to salvation by enlightening their minds in the knowledge of Christ. What does this mean, to have your mind enlightened in the knowledge of Christ? Well, it means that the Spirit of God opens your spiritual eyes to see Christ as the wonderful Savior that He is. It means that the Holy Spirit moves you to comprehend the wisdom of God in the gospel. Before, you saw it only as foolishness. But when the Spirit works, you see that there is wisdom here in the gospel. It means that the Holy Spirit moves you to say, It is true, and I believe, when presented with the good news of Jesus the Christ. Perhaps you are beginning to see that the Holy Spirit effectually calls the elect to faith in Christ by renewing the various faculties of man's soul that were twisted and distorted by his fall into sin to make him averse to God and unable to draw near to God on his own to the salvation of his soul. Are you beginning to see that that is what is being taught here in our catechism, that the Spirit actually renews 
these faculties that was, exist within uh, fallen man, these faculties that are still present and active within a human being, but they're all twisted up and distorted. Man's heart is not naturally soft to the things of God now that we are in sin, but is hard and stone-like. And the Spirit can break a heart of stone. And this He does for the elect, as we have already seen. Man's mind is not naturally filled with light and open to the things of God, but is dark and twisted. But the Spirit can enlighten the mind, and this He does for the elect of God in due time in our effectual calling. I want for you to listen very briefly to the way that Paul describes the unregenerate in Ephesians 4.17. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's speaking here of non-believing Gentiles. In the futility of their minds. Do you hear how Paul is speaking of these unbelieving Gentiles? Don't walk like that in, anymore. They walk in the futility of their minds. Their minds are vain. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And now listen to what Paul says to those who have been redeemed, to the Christians in Ephesus. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I mean, the, the, the language of effectual calling is not being used here, but that is what is being described. You used to be hard-hearted and dark, but you've been given new life. Your minds have been enlightened. Your hearts have been softened. The Spirit of God has effectually drawn you, is essentially what Paul is here saying to the Ephesians. Now walk in that newness of life. The Holy Spirit effectually calls God's elect by convincing them of their sin and misery and by enlightening their minds in the knowledge of Christ, we have learned. And thirdly, we see that the Holy Spirit renews another aspect of man's being that has been distorted by his fall into sin when he effectually calls them, namely their wills. He renews our wills. To be human is to have a will. The will is that part of man that makes choices. We choose to do things and we choose to not do other things all the time. Uh, the condition of our heart and mind will affect the will. We act according to our desires and affections. And when man fell into sin, he did not lose his will, that is to say, the ability to make real and free choices. We still have that ability today, even though we are fallen. But the will of man did also fall into sin, so that he does not will that which is good and pleasing to God, but that which is evil. This is now our natural condition apart from Christ. We have a will. We might even say that we have a free will, if by that we mean that we make real choices from the heart, not being controlled by something external to us. But apart from Christ, the will of man is in bondage to sin. We do not by nature choose to live for the glory of God, but for the glory of self. We do not choose to live for His pleasure, but our own. We do not choose righteousness and holiness, but sin. We will not choose Christ when presented with Him, but we will reject Him if left to ourselves. For we are born in sin and in bondage to it. And this is what Paul had in mind when he wrote to the Romans saying, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Your, your condition used to be that you were slaves to sin. 
Did you have a will? Yes, you did. You were making real choices every day, but you were in bondage to something. You were in bondage to sin. But Christ has set you free. How did this transformation of which Paul speaks take place within these Roman Christians? The answer is by the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit. They were once slaves to sin. Their wills were in bondage to it, but the Spirit set them free. He renewed their wills so that they might be obedient from the heart. And this He has done for you if you are in Christ Jesus. Fourthly, notice the end result of this work of the Spirit. By convincing us of our sin and misery, by enlightening our minds and the knowledge of Christ, and by renewing our wills, the Holy Spirit does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. This is such beautiful language here, I think. I do appreciate the words persuade and enable. To be persuaded is to be convinced of something. The Spirit persuades us to come to Christ by convincing us of our sin and misery and by enlightening our minds to the glories of Christ. Now the word enable is, means to, to make it possible for someone to do something. The Spirit enables us to come to Christ by freeing us from our natural bondage to sin by the renewal, renewal of our wills. Do not forget what Jesus said in John 6.44 to that crowd that came out to Him because they wanted a meal. No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws Him, and I will raise Him up on the last day. That is our natural condition. In our fallen state, no one can come to Christ. No one is able to come unless the Father draws Him. And this He does by the Word and by the Spirit. When the Spirit effectually calls the elect to Christ, He enables them to come. And I also appreciate the word embrace. The Spirit does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ, the Catechism says. Embrace is clearly being used here as a synonym for to believe upon or have faith in Christ. Question 33 has already taught that the Holy Spirit works faith in those who we effectually call. So we already have that established. But the word embrace is a beautiful word, I think. It is a very warm word. It communicates love and adoration and appreciation for Christ. It communicates that faith is not a distant and cold trusting in the work of Christ, but a trusting that leads to fellowship, friendship, and companionship. Remember that through faith we are united to Christ in our effectual calling. We have already learned that. We are united to Him in our effectual calling. And when I read that word embrace, I am reminded of how Jesus wept for Lazarus, His friend, how Martha sat at His feet, how tender Christ was to Peter when He restored him. And His words to His disciples, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. I think this word embrace helps us to understand that aspect of the faith. It is not a distant and cold trusting in Christ. But there is, but, but there is, there is warmth there. There is a beautiful relationship that is established when we cling to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. We embrace Him. We fall into His strong arms and we are comforted by His love. The last thing that must be said is that the Spirit persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. I have said it once already, but it must be said again. We must preach the gospel, friends. The external call, the gospel call, is essential. No one will be saved apart from the gospel call. For it is the gospel that the Spirit 
uses to persuade and enable men and women to believe when he effectually calls them. Stated differently, the Spirit does not effectually call sinners apart from the Word, but through the Word of God, through the gospel of truth proclaimed. And this is why Paul has said, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Perhaps you can go back and read 1 Corinthians uh, 1, that passage that we read at the beginning of the sermon for yourself uh, this evening. Um, And though the term effectual calling is not found there, keep this theological truth in mind. Um, This idea is certainly present. Paul, there in that passage, you notice, makes a distinction between those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Those who are perishing hear the good news, the gospel, and they think it is foolish. But those who are being saved see it as the wisdom of God. And in conclusion to this idea, the apostle said, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And I love this conclusion. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do you want to boast? Well, it cannot be in yourself. Your boasting must be in the Lord, for it is all Him and by His grace. What a wonderful thought to conclude with. If we are Christ, it is because we were chosen in eternity past and effectually called by the Word of God and by His Holy Spirit at the appointed time. It is all by His grace. Therefore, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit. Will you repeat after me? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit. Whereby convincing us of our sin and misery... Enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills. He does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. Amen. Let us pray. God, we confess that, left to ourselves, we are hopeless. We were in such a hopeless state, deserving only your wrath, only your judgment. We were in a state of sin, we were in a state of misery. But you have been kind to us. You determined in eternity past to bring us to salvation, to bring us to glory. We thank you for Christ and the work that he has accomplished We thank you for the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit has effectually drawn us if we are in Christ today. Make us faithful to proclaim the gospel 
And as we proclaim it, Lord, may we depend not upon our own wisdom and strength, not upon our own cunning to persuade others to, to come to faith, but may we preach the gospel faithfully and may we trust that the Holy Spirit will call whom he will. Father, humble us also. May we see and know for certain that there is no room for boasting in ourselves. All of our boasting must be in Christ. We are to give him all glory, honor, and praise. We say these things in his precious name and all of God's people say.